Hey Rodney, did you know Slack's been a part of the Ready for as long as I have? You mean like back in the Bryant Park days? You know it. Even when there were only a couple of us working out of a cafe in Midtown, Slack is where we came together to tackle the future of work. Over eight years later, we're fully decentralized across eight time zones, and we still do it all with Slack. That's right, because it's the AI-powered platform for growing your business, keeping your teams connected, and making work legitimately simpler. Now you can get up to speed on a new project with one-click summaries or find exactly what you need, when you need it, with an AI-supercharged search function. It makes your day-to-day easier and gives you the freedom to focus on what really matters, your future. Grow your business without the grind in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Brave New Work, a podcast about reinventing our organizations and the search for a more adaptive and human way of working. I'm Aaron Dignan, and I'm joined by, you guessed it, Rodney Evans. Hello, friends. In the studio. Indeed. Uh, Today's episode is going to be another Ask Us Anything, a second AUA for us. And we have selected three wonderful questions to explore. But before we do that, let's explore El Check-In Round. El Check-In-O. That's not how you say that in Spanish. I actually speak Spanish. I know better than that. Um, All right, y'all. We're going to do it like we always do. And because the world is a terribly frightening and disappointing place. We're going to do a real silly check-in round question today because I could use the mood boosting. Frankly, I've been on Twitter. So today's check-in question is, if you were a beverage of any kind, what would you be? What (laughs) beverage is the essential, Aaron? I think I'm an Arnold Palmer. Really? Yeah. Bear with me. No, how dare you? How dare you? I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No cross-talk during check-in, go. My God. It's, first of all, you're blending two things that are good by themselves and trying to, like, have a little something different in the center. And I try to do that. I try to be, like, a little bit more uh, accessible and human in a world of consulting that's, like, super dry and serious, right? I'm trying to, like, bring things together, bring worlds together. And uh, it's a little sweet and it's a little sour. (laughs) And I really like them. And it feels aspirationally, like... I don't, I don't know if that would say sophisticated, but it's like, you know, you want to have one out on the porch. I literally don't know if I've ever had one. Wow. Well, for all that hate you through, that's, <laughs> you just want to disagree. I was here for the conflict. What drink are you that's so great? I believe myself to be summarized by a drink that I love very much and drink very often. Many of you listening have shared this drink with me, which is a maker's mark on the rocks. And here's Perfect. why, folks, because... I like what I like, and sometimes it's fancy and sometimes it's not, but I'm very clear on what it is, and once I've decided that I like it, it's what I like. And I feel like bourbon, for some, is a bit of an acquired taste, like I'm a Mm -hmm. bit of an acquired taste. And then once (laughs) that's your thing, you're kind of like, why is there anything else besides that thing? So and simple. simple, also very straightforward. I feel like I'm a straightforward human. You don't have to guess about Maker's Mark. It knows exactly what it wants to be. Straight shooter. We've talked about your superpower there on the show before. Yes, indeed. So, yeah, I'm on board. All right, we can well, mix those can together, have... and it would be such a delicious cocktail. Actually, that's true. <gasps> Interesting. Yeah. We did not expect that. No. Magic. All right. So uh, today we are taking questions, more serious questions, uh, from the audience. So let's jump right in. First up, we have a question from Mike. 
I've been working with my team on a bunch of different exercises, including the check-in rounds. And I'm wondering at what point do I have to stop making it so fun? I know that sounds weird, but like my question is basically, is it okay if the check-in round question is always something that builds team rather than necessarily something that builds the work? And what are your thoughts on, you know, I'm not suggesting we have a foosball table, nor can we due to pandemic reasons, but um, how do we balance the fun in those activities? Hi, Mike. Thank you for calling and giving us a question that I love very much. (laughs) Uh, My short answer is never stop having fun checking rounds because everything else that we do is about work. And so you can just... (laughs) Keep doing check-in rounds. In seriousness, I do think that the main purpose of the check-in round is about connection. And so I feel like trying to pivot it to work when probably and hopefully the rest of the meeting design is oriented more around the content. I think it's better to keep it its own thing that's more about creating the context and the vibe. That being said, if there was something that was connection oriented, that was a bit more profound than what kind of drink are you? Um, I think that's okay too. Like I, I will sometimes use a check-in round on a particularly, um, heavy day because of what's happening in the world to be like, how are you feeling really still about teaming, less about fun, more about empathy building, but I always keep checking in the realm of the emotional teaming dynamic building context. Yeah, I would say total plus one. The only uh, things I would add would be a if you are really sensing into what the team needs as a facilitator, you can kind of go where the action is. So maybe the team is needing to be silly, you can respond to that. Maybe the team does need to like, get a little bit more earnest or a little bit more heartfelt or a little bit more connected or be a little bit more strategic or thinking about the future. Like, I think it's okay to play with the whole palette of colors. But I wouldn't just pick a lane and be like, now it's time to be more serious or now it's time to be, you know, fun forever. I would really try to tune in to what's needed and even possibly ask or, or you know, consult the group by week or by day. Like, where are we at? How are we feeling? What kind of, you know, what kind of question is called for to bring us together and center us? And then the last thing I would say is I'm a big believer in like party in the front business in the back as totally. far as check in and checkouts go. So like I love a checkout round to be really about the work, about the week of work, about what happened in the meeting. Like that's a great time to turn the round into something very practical. And the check in is a good chance to, yeah, maybe maybe not be silly, but like connect, go deeper, shed what you brought into the room, like just be present. And so for that reason, I think if you're going to if you're going to err on the side of being lighter or heavier somewhere i'd be heavier on the checkout and lighter on the check in there we have it next we have a question from gavin let's hear it leaders are the gatekeepers to organizational change an organization can only rise to the level of consciousness of its leader therefore a lot of organizations can't move forward because their leaders aren't ready And I'm using leaders in quotes because a true leader doesn't hold her people back. She leads them into their full potential and does so selflessly. It just seems that there are two types of leaders, those who want good things for themselves and those who want good things for everybody else in their company. From an evolutionary perspective, I kind of get it that some of our ancestors succeeded by taking and some succeeded by giving and caring and being collaborative uh, and creating collaborative tribe 
that succeeded in working together. And both of these types of ancestors passed their genes on to us. I think the vast majority of us are the collaborative, compassionate, generous descendants from the groups that work cooperatively together. My question is, why is it then that the group that that takes and, and is mostly interested in themselves is so overrepresented in company leadership? Is it, you know, is it because those of us who, you know, should be taking leadership who care about others aren't stepping up? Or is it because the others are just after it incessantly? I don't know. But that's my question. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for that one, Gavin. That's deep. That goes all the way back uh, to the dawn of to the dawn of time. I think my first reaction to this is that I believe that we make a false choice when we try to pretend that some of us are altruistic and some of us are selfish. I think we're both, right? We all have to be, we have, have to be able to play both to be in society, to be in community. We have to have some altruism. And I think that's true kind of at a DNA level for humans. And also it's, there's nothing wrong with being selfish in terms of like, what do I want? What do I need? What do I want my life to look like? And, and, you know, how do I want to shape interactions with, with my colleagues around some of those desires and needs? So, so I think there's, there's a way to have both and to be aware of both and honor both without kind of dividing into camps. All that being said, I do believe that we're very mimetic and sort of thematic about how we think about roles and leadership in culture today. And I think we look often to the media and to who's held up and to who features as a quote unquote leader in stories. And and that shapes what people think is possible. It shapes our frame for who fits in this box. And so, yeah, if you, you know, if you spend your life growing up with movies like The Devil Wears Prada, you're going to have this idea that like, yeah, a boss is supposed to be, a, you know, a fairly selfish driven taskmaster who places, you know, output above all else. And I, I do see that play out in, in selection processes and our feelings about who will keep us safe and all that. But I am curious, Rodney, what, you know, what it provoked for you, because I feel like this one is a, it's a many layered cake. And I'm not sure which layer to eat, you know, to eat first. Yeah. Uh, It's a great question, Gavin. And one of the reasons that I got into doing this work when I used to do much more human and individual oriented work that often centered on alpha males with giant egos was that I got super (laughs) bored of that. And the reason I got super bored of that is because we are living in systems that are meant for extraction designed by people who were extractive. And so I think your point is a fair one that you look around Mm -hmm. and you see leadership held up that is behaving in this way. That's like, um, you know, there's a finite amount and I want to maximize my share of it. And we see it in politics and we see it in the world around us. And part of the reason that I'm so engaged and oriented toward systems work and systems design is because I think by making different choices in our systems, we start to move people away from behaving that way. I actually don't really strongly believe that people are hardwired in any particular way. I think we're so shaped by the environment around us starting in childhood and, and moving on from there. But like, just think about how much our institutions from school to jobs to, you know, everything around us shape how we behave. And so anywhere that you're seeing the people who are like, I'm out for me and I'm going to maximize mine and I'm going to do what is great at the cost of, you know, others, look at what system they're in and look at what system they grew (laughs) up in and then think about whether they are 
shaped by that and then in turn are reinforcing that design that has rewarded them mightily. And so my question is always just like, how do you start to chip away at that? Because uh, you'll never overcome the human being if you don't begin to shift the environment around them. Couldn't agree more. And it is weird that like the, yeah, whatever that resonant frequency of an environment is affects the way you show up, right? So like when you're in New York, the resonant frequency is get more power, get more money, right? And when you're in LA, the resonant frequency is get famous. And when Mm -hmm. you're in, you know, somewhere else, it's like eat amazing food or be healthy or whatever. There's always an undertone. And I do think that, yeah, our message has been that kind of Gordon Gecko greed is good, you know, go get it kind of thing. What's funny though, and where I see a shift in culture is when your definition of winning is just having more. Um, once you get it, it's not enough. And so mm-hmm. there's a hollowness to that victory. And most of the people that we know that are most kind of driven, greedy, selfish, you know, that sort of old prototype of leader, you know, they don't strike me as particularly happy people. <laughs> like they're not, they're not psyched to be alive. It's the dirty and little so, secret. <laughs> Yeah. And and it's less and less of a secret every day. And so I think what's cool is I would say five, 10 years ago when I got on the phone with a CEO to talk about this stuff, I was nervous because I knew I was going to have to make a case for humanity and for values that were more about how soulful work is and how Mm -hmm. meaningful it is. I knew I was going to have to fight that fight. I still wear that armor and I show up to calls and I'm like, wait, who are you now? What are we talking about? And they're like already there. They're yeah. already starting to think about these things. So I do believe that boards and founders and other people who kind of make decisions about who's going to be in leadership are starting to shift in pockets. And that has been a, a really excited thing. Uh, I, that has been a really exciting thing that I hope to see more of, even in the midst of this, you know, fairly dark moment that we're in around power and, you know, community. I mean, my greatest hope in the current highlighting of systemic injustice is that people who are white become more power literate. Right. Like it's all that we can, it's it's all that we can hope for because if there is some understanding at some point that we all started on third base, then mm-hmm. things begin to shift. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's we're starting on third base and we're often running in a race or we're trying to make it to a home plate that is not well-rounded, that is not fulfilling. 100%. So it's like, yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> Start on <laughs> the, third base in a really stupid sport. Yeah, in a, in a game where <laughs> like game home base is a pie win. in the face. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, thanks. All right, let's, um, let's roll on now to our final question of the episode, which is a question from Abe. Hey guys, Abe here from Ottawa. Uh, I work in the uh, Canadian public service and a lot of our organizations are starting to have conversations about return to physical offices, physical workspaces. So I'm just curious um, if you have any thoughts about uh, what should organizations be thinking about as they start to transition back to working in offices again. And there's a lot of conversation about how to, set up offices for, um, you know, physical distancing uh, requirements. So I'm just wondering, um, do you have any advice or any thoughts? What should, uh, what should leaders be thinking about? What should teams be thinking about? What should organizations be thinking about as we start to make those kinds of transitions? Thanks. Keep up the great work. 
So Abe, a question on a lot of folks' mind. We are in this conversation quite a bit these days. And unsurprisingly, (laughs) my thinking about this is pretty much the same as my thinking about literally everything else, which is rather than starting with maker's mark. Yeah. You know, right. It's like just rinse and repeat. Uh, rather than starting with scenarios or options or tactics, which is what I see people naturally gravitate towards. So the conversation that keeps unfolding is like, well, what if we go to alternating seats and alternating Wednesdays and alternating floors and, you know, elevator attendance and stickers on the floor and Rather than going right to that part, because that stuff will have to get figured out, first, the question to me is, what is the work to be done? And thinking if we can start to enroll and engage the team level, understanding that we are not going to find one solution that works for an entire organization, but at a team level, what would be optimal for them? You know, one of the biggest misconceptions that I've heard throughout is like, well, once we let people let people go home, <laughs> once <laughs> once we are mandated to close our cities, um, once we let people go home, like they'll never come back and it'll be riots in the streets, chaos and blah, blah, blah. And actually, people surveyed generally would like to spend some time in the office. Like most people don't actually want to be home in their house all the time forever. So if we just assume that uh, folks can make good rational decisions, I'm very curious about putting the problem to the team and saying for the way you work and the work that you need to deliver, what does optimal look like for you with the understanding that for some teams that might be full co-location, for some teams that might be one day each week, for some teams that might be a week out of each month, but that giving maybe some constraints or some guardrails and then giving teams the freedom to scenario plan and come up with what would really support their work is a much more interesting use of our thinking and exercise than just like, well, how many chairs can fit on the floor? Let's get rid of 50% of them. (laughs) How many vinyl stickers can we put down to control the flow of traffic? Yeah, I love that. And I think um, one of the friends of the ready, Alison Baum, wrote a great piece about the flipped workplace kind of building off the idea of the flipped school where Mm. instead of doing the homework at home and the, you know, the, people talking at you in class, you watch a video uh, at home and in class you're active and alive. And I think similarly, uh, the concept for the workplace is like, how do we find a way where where that togetherness is valuable to have it be really high octane and then let the deep work and the focus and all the other stuff happen outside of the space? I do think we're going to see kind of a, a, a divergence here going forward of like companies that just work better remote where the benefits outweigh the the costs and the the talent pool and the styles and the options just are are better. I think generally that'll be true for technology and software driven organizations more than others. And then we'll see some obviously that have to be in person and have to be dealing with this right now that are service oriented and you know the the medical field and restaurants and all that. And then there and then the flipped ones in the middle that maybe say like all right, well we would like the best of both worlds like you were talking about Rodney. Um One thing I'm loving, though, right now that I think is worth noting is it's okay because we're so in the middle of this to kick the can down the road a little bit if you're not sure, Mm -hmm. because we're not done with this pandemic. We're not done with this moment. We're just getting our sea legs in terms of like what it means to be remote or to break some of these 
normal like work paradigms. And it feels to me like if you don't have to be back, if you're not a hospital, if you're not a, you know, a place where you give care, there's value in just saying, like a lot of brands have, we'll figure this out in 2021. Like, Mm -hmm. let's just let's just let this roll for a little bit and learn and see what happens. And then we'll we'll rebuild the house more slowly. And obviously, Abe, you know, you mentioned being in a field where maybe the in-person aspect is more important. And that's where I think, you know, your advice, Rodney, is right on the money, which is let's decentralize this. Like, let's mm-hmm. localize, let's get down into the weeds of what does what does each team function and role need to do their work best in this moment and let them drive and then maybe create a little bit of a sandbox of options, modules, componentry um, that enables that. Uh, you know, one of my favorite things about Starbucks lore that I that I heard from someone over the years was, when they were building, you know, a store a day or two stores or 10 stores or whatever crazy number it was, they basically just built a catalog of interoperable parts. Mm. And they would let the store manager or the like local team just like pick and choose. So it was mm-hmm. like, is it this counter or that counter? Is it this cabinet or that cabinet? Is it this device or that device? But they all work together. So it was mm-hmm. like all this stuff hangs together. And I think about this similarly, like, is there some combination of safety protocols, signage, guidance, habits and practices that you can kind of just dump in the sandbox and be like, all this stuff is compliant. Build like build your own, build your own, build your own come back to work plan uh, yeah. with with these pieces and let it let it serve your team well. So yeah, good luck with that. And what's really cool um, in doing a little bit of this work inside a very large organization is uh, they're talking about doing some design work to come to basically a menu of those ideas and nice. then getting to the varsity place already of how do the teams that have high degree of dependency and interest in collaborating, like how are they going to then deconflict and rationalize if they've chosen different menu options, which is just Mm. like a fun thing to think about is to start it from the team level and then sort of build out from there rather than starting it from the top and like shoving it down and in. Well, and it builds those marketplace skills, which we want. Like, how does the group operate in a way where they are pushing and pulling and noticing like, hey, we can only have great things if we align. Right. We, we actually want that to be organic and emergent. And if this is an excuse to learn that skill, guess what? You can use it later for budgeting and for strategy and for a whole host of other things that'll be around long after this is a distant memory. 100%. Yeah, it's really cool to cool. see. Nice. I'm glad that's happening in the real world. <laughs> Um, because most of my life is spent in the clouds <laughs> of theory. He's still in the closet. <laughs> I am literally in the closet. Um, awesome. All right. Well, uh, this was a good AUA. I thought I really liked hearing people's actual voices and responding to them. And I felt like the questions went up a level this time. This yeah. was like we we're going deeper. These were hard to answer. Yeah. which is exactly what I want. We had to think with our mind grapes. It was great. Uh, thank you guys for calling. We want more, more calls. We'll do this again. We're going to do it routinely. Um, I would love to have a giant pile of y'all's questions because you definitely email them to me and send them to me on LinkedIn. And I want to hear them spoken in your voices in the future. (laughs) That'd be really exciting. Uh, also other things I'd love is a review. If you could, we'd love it. And, um, please pass this show around and then ask your friends to also ask us questions and we'll answer their questions too asked and answered uh quick tip of the hat as usual to taylor marvin for making us sound good brave new work is of course produced by the ready where we get to help organizations around the world change the way they work and go back to work and you can get in touch with us by emailing podcast at the as for you thanks for listening now go change something 